Good morning, everybody. It's a great joy and honor to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. And it's a wonderful thing to be in prayer and reflection and meditation together and worship. Um, I will say, too, that it, is a, it has been a gift for me to be in England over this weekend, that weekend that was not what we thought it would be. <laughs> A weekend where the past and the present and the future all converge into questions about, for us from Ireland, certainly what's going to happen for us. Um, the other day I got um, a card through the post, not a nice card, a little green card, a little green card that I'll need to carry with me when I'm driving across the border. And um, I wept because of what that's doing to Ireland. People voted in different ways for good reasons but um, it frightens me what's happening for us at the moment. And so it is a, a great thing and a thing I'm very glad for to um, bear witness to the muscle of friendship that has been exercised between Britain and Ireland and between England and Ireland over these last decades of moving towards peace because um, at the moment the news is easily alerting our attention toward that which impoverishes us in our civic relations. And I'm very glad to be here to see the warmth, the love, and the muscle of kindness that should be elevated and amplified more loudly by people who voted in all kinds of different ways because nobody voted for there to be cards to mean that you can cross your own border. Why I am a Christian and when has been a lovely thing to think about since Martin told me yesterday afternoon what the topic was. <laughs> no, he told me the day before. <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> um, I, um, I was part of a Christian group when I was 18 and you were all being led into this idea of giving up your rights and people were saying, oh, I give up my right to wealth and give up my right to this and give up my right to a lovely big house. And I remember thinking, I don't know what rights are to give them up. I had not grown up in a context either um, nationally or culturally where there was a strong attachment to my right to happiness. I don't know that too many of us have. I think lots of us grew up thinking, I hope I survive, and that's enough. And I, uh, I think I had never really understood too much about what it meant to be liked. Um, I grew up, I'm Catholic, so I, faith was absolutely part of the family. The nightly rosary in Irish at home, the long litany of prayers to the saints, beautiful prayers that I still remember. Watch, dear Lord, with those who wake or watch or weep and give your angels charge over those who... Something. <laughs> That's a prayer to Augustine, from Augustine. And uh, I was at a festival for young people when I was 15, and somebody was, um, I, I needed to talk to somebody. I felt profoundly misunderstood. And that was a mixture of teenage melodrama and also the surviving of violence. And so it was a mixture of things that everybody goes through and things nobody should go through. And I was talking about the things that everybody goes through because I didn't have words to talk about the things that nobody should go through. But I think the guy that I was speaking to, a lovely Protestant man from Coleraine, Steve was his name, I will always remember him with love. I think he understood that there were things that I couldn't say. And in the midst of me describing the melodrama of things I was surviving, he looked at me and he said, I like you. And I was shocked. Who says that? And kindness, compassion, warmth, affection was the intervention of the possibility of beatitude into something for me. 
And that was a small moment of temporary friendship that I think changed me because it introduced into me the possibility that affection, as simple and easy as that can be, affection can be the intervention that can change something. My mother has not <coughs> had a diff an easy life and uh, in the 80s, after her own mother had, oh, it was the, yeah, yeah, the late 80s, early 90s, her own mother had just died, and my mother was uh, living with uh, serious depression and uh, sleeping most of the time. And years later, she said to me, did I ever tell you about the time when Our Lady appeared to me? And I kind of wasn't listening until then. And I said, no. And she said, I was lying in bed in the middle of the afternoon. And suddenly I thought, oh, right, I know what we're talking about, that aching decade. And she said, I woke up because um, a stranger had walked into my room, a woman who looked very ordinary, dressed like she was out of pre-mark. Ordinary, curly hair, just probably cut by herself, looking like anybody you'd sit next to on a bus, a woman of about 70. And my mother said, I felt the depression of the mattress where she sat down where I was lying in the bed. And then Mary looked at my mother and said to her, you've never liked me very much, have you? And my mother found in herself the capacity to say, no. And Mary said, that's okay. Kindness, ordinariness, We've heard today in the text a story of three bewildered men un unsure about how to be with each other. And I offer now a story of women, my mother, her own dead mother, and the mother of God, the star of the sea, wandering in in a tweed coat to a house in rural Ireland. One way of reading the text that we've heard today for sure is that there's a metaphor that the father who runs is God and the son who has left is, you know, the rebellion one and the son who stays surely is the one who's nurturing resentment like Alison Funk says, um, whose anger is the instrument he tunes from good morning on. And there's great richness in that reading of it. But no story is ever complete with only one reading. And so I'd like to offer another supplementary, additional way to read it. There's a theory in narrative work that there's um, only uh, two stories in the world. A person goes on a journey and a stranger comes to town. And I think we see some of that echoed in this. What we see is a, a person who needed to leave. And often the, the reason given for that is greed, but who knows, I needed to leave. I left home the day after I turned 18. I'm sure some of us did too. Some of us needed to leave but couldn't. And after that son left, what's clear is that the two who were left behind, the father and the older son, didn't know what to say to each other. Bewildered men both. The absolute absence of a female voice in that household is profound. Strangers in their own home with each other. One looking at the other, hoping for love, and then the other seemed to be bereft by the thing that isn't there, and not able to see the thing that is there. And then he runs when the other one comes back. But what's interesting is he doesn't even tell his older son that your brother's home. The brother's out working and he comes in and calls a servant and says, what's happening? Is that love? Why didn't you run to me? It's extraordinary to look at the complexity of this story, so brilliant.
And so there seems to be something about these three men needing to be called towards each other. And I think that's another layer of this story that we can allow to reflect on and to see in ourselves the bewilderments and the anxieties. The older son, we suddenly realize then, is less resentful and more courageous because finally he's able to say, all of these years, why haven't you loved me? And that's a good thing <laughs> to say that. Sometimes it takes us a long time to know how to speak the very things that are in front of us. I'm a Christian, or I think I should say I try to be a Christian because of this, because all of us are filled with many things, rage and curiosity, sadness and courage, the lack of courage and the practice of courage. We're filled with complicity and complacency and kindness. We have small moments of decision, preceded perhaps by years of ineptitude. And I'm a Christian, I think, and I try, because of this text, the great evangelist by Luke. Um, Luke is so interested in gender equity the whole way throughout his text. It starts off with two silenced men and two voiced women. And so it's very strange that in Luke, the only reference you hear about women is the older son saying, you and your loose women. And so Luke, I think, is portraying the inadequacy when we try to be ourselves alone, that we need to turn towards each other, that we need to turn to each other in vulnerability and speak from the place of vulnerability. And that is great power. And that's why I try to be a Christian, because I'm filled with vulnerability and Christianity doesn't provide an antidote to that. I think Christianity provides an offer to speak from that. Why I am a Christian and when. When am I a Christian? When are we Christian? Now. Now is an age of pollution and partition. It's an age of privilege and purity and an age of poverty and politics. Now is an age for us in Ireland where we were already going to be marking the centenary of the border, already a difficult thing for us to note. The partition of a country is measured in centuries, not in seconds. Brexit will remind people about that too. Brexit will not be survived simply by a trade deal. Whatever it is and all the good reasons why people voted in one way or in another, it will be measured in many, many years not in the question of an outcome based on negotiations about milk crossing the border. And I'm a Christian when, because in all of these moments we're called to look at fear and to practice love in the face of it. Not because we know what the outcome will be, but because even if it's empty, it's a good thing to do anyway. To practice love even if we know that death is at the end of it. This, I think, is the Christian way. It isn't an antidote, it isn't a strategic plan, it isn't something that we can predict easily. It is something that says, okay, hell is in front of you. Love. I'm a Christian because of story, because the story of the Gospels I find to be an embrace, an embrace for all the ineptitudes of my own life. And in it, I find the metaphor, the story, the possibility of finding a connection with characters who are timeless and who speak to us about the things that we need to try to do to survive a life. And that most of those things are found through the practice of courage in one hand and vulnerability in the other. 
that the heart might quake with fear, but nonetheless that love is still possible from the place of the heart. This is why I'm a Christian, and this is when.